Welcome to this live podcast at the Wright City Conference, taking place here at the University of Concordia in Montreal. This event is hosted by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies, Canada's leading research institute and think tank for the prevention of mass atrocities, in partnership with Amnesty International and the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. I'm Duncan Cooper. And I'm Alexandrine Royer. This is the third edition of the Wright City Conference, an initiative established in order to bring together inspiring thought leaders who will provide valuable insights regarding pressing human rights issues. Our aim is to provide Canada and the international human rights community with a constructive platform during this time of great upheaval. In this series, we'll be joined by leading human rights voices who will share their perspectives on some of today's challenges in the preservation and protection of human rights. In recent years, political observers have raised the alarm, warning of the steady erosion of democratic principles worldwide. As globalization brings us closer together, we in the human rights community are faced with increasingly complex challenges. The primacy of a human rights-led international framework as a refrain of global politics is being confronted by a new set of actors that reject basic freedoms. Authoritarian regimes are using new technologies to expand repressive state apparatuses and reassert their hold in domestic affairs. Populist politics are threatening to reverse some of the hard-won accomplishments of the human rights movement. The challenge on how to resist and confront these assaults on human rights continues to gain increasing urgency. In the wake of the international community's deteriorating consensus, Canada, and notably the city of Montreal, have continued to steadily position themselves as human rights leaders. Today, we'll be hearing from a range of human rights activists to share their insights on what some have labeled the end of human rights. Rather than a discourse of surrender and abjection, we are hoping our speakers will inspire calls to action and renew commitments to the human rights movement. We'll hear from the Honorable Romeo Dallaire, Special Advisor to the UN, Adama Dieng, Professor Jennifer Welsh, as well as MIGS founder, Professor Frank Chalk. I'm with Romeo Dallaire, former Lieutenant General and Senator, as well as a humanitarian advocate, founder of the Child Soldiers Initiative, and MIGS Distinguished Fellow. Welcome. Thank you. I'll get right into it. So my first question for you is, you've been vocal in the past about a lack of response, as well as uh, judgment that led to the Rwandan crisis spiraling out of control. Recently, the persecution and the expulsion of the Rohingya minority in Myanmar has received a great deal of negative coverage as being an insufficient international response. So could you comment on what, in your opinion, could be done to avoid things like this happening in the future? There is no doubt in my military mind that uh, solutions of this nature are not inherently military. Uh, they are a mixture of diplomatic, humanitarian, uh, political, of course, and yeah, security forces uh, in the role of supporting uh, a will to intervene by nations in scenarios that become evident as crimes against humanity and even evident as mass atrocities uh, where abuses of human rights are uh, without question. And so uh, how do we get the uh, political elites to get involved early on so that you can in fact uh, intervene before it becomes a catastrophe? 
uh, is the, the heart of the problem. It's not the, the R2P capability that's, uh, that's missing, that's wrong. It's our inability to intervene early. I see. And that lack of intervention early permits scenarios to escalate to the point where if we do want to intervene, it becomes so massive that countries are fearful of wanting to apply it. And is that largely um, a legal mechanism that could be improved? I know that with R2P and the Genocide Convention, there's an attempt to make countries compelled to intervene. But in your mind, is there still something that's lacking in that legal framework, or is the problem also political? Uh, the problem is absolutely political. Okay. And the, pro and the political uh, problem that exists is due to the fact that the political elites are dominated by their local self-interest and their, their electorates that are holding them accountable at that level. When you treat your, your people as grade nine students, mm -hmm. well, they'll act like grade nine students. And so when between the media and the political fear of, of uh, uh, taking risks is held accountable in, in minutiae, dimensions it can't get above the sort of the weeds the tactical level of stuff mm -hmm. it can't think strategically Big picture it can't see its role strategically i'll give you an example in 2017 it was a year where we were the 150th of our of our democracy which is one of the most fundamental democracies in the world uh, and the 100th anniversary of Vimy Ridge where we became a nation state. That year could have been a culminating point of giving Canadians a focus of the future. Where do we want to have Canada in the world, right? We didn't have any of that. There was no vision of beyond 2017, let alone up to 2017 and what we wanted to do. It, we did, all we did was eat cake. So, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, at least in, at the 100th anniversary, we built hockey rinks, you know, in parks. Yeah. This time we just ate cake. So when your elites can't figure that out, that they can influence the nation to focus into the future in a grander scheme of humanity, then you've got a problem in ever getting the politically wanting to take risks of going beyond the borders where it's not just resources, it's people. Now there is an answer there. And the answer is coming from your generation. The generation that I still calling the sort of under 25, which I call the generation without borders. You are mastering technology and communications. You are already global. Borders are not a factor in how you see the world. So you can handle human rights globally because you can talk globally. You'll be able to Skype anybody globally. You you can handle environment in a grander scale because you can see and talk about how the world is at risk. The planet is if there's not a communion between humanity and the planet. Your generation is going to push the other ones to go to the higher level and get out of the weeds of yeah. the day-to-day -day tactical stuff that dominate our political elite. That's very interesting. I'm reminded of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish environmental activist that's so successful at such a young age. So that's a leadership issue that you're speaking to, right? So how can we educate young people beyond their intuitive technological capabilities to have that real sense of responsibility, that real philosophy that there is absolutely uh, an imperative to act? I think that we've got to maximize the tools that exist and the communications revolution that is ongoing 
that the whole social network system is still very immature. It's still trying to find its way. It's being maneuvered still in a, I think, too uh, um, claustrophobic sort of uh, way. That is to say, we're thinking down tunnels and worried about how far that tunnel is going to lead us. On the contrary, where we could be expanding it to make people realize that they've got the world in their hands. Those phones yeah. is communications to the world. So why not make people realize that the world is right there and that the human beings that are in that world are just like us? Like making the young people realize that their peers are being used as weapons of war. You know, how can you permit that if you really believe in communicating with, with, uh, with humanity? So there is, in my opinion right now, a dearth of maturing the process of maximizing the social communications tools in order to build that sense of humanity. Where, where we're more involved is trying to put limits to it because we're worried about its being abused. Yes, no. And that's happening right now with legislating Facebook, um, as well as worries of surveillance. But certainly thinking about it in a sort of constructive way, I think could lead to incredible things. Um, just on the topic of Canada's role within uh, the future of human rights, we're a middle power, um, but we have a long history of peacekeeping. How do you think we are uniquely positioned um, as there is a kind of international retreat from responsibility happening globally? You know, peacekeeping mm -hmm. was barely 3% of our military use. Really? We were more involved in how do we defend against the Warsaw Pact and using all the classic weapon systems and debating even the use of tactical nuclear weapons more than we were in peacekeeping. Peacekeeping, however, gave us an incredible opening to the world and how this country can influence other countries and help nations prevent conflict and engage in conflict resolution and ultimately in uh, reconciliation and, and building a, a future. That was the venue that we could maximize at the time uh, of classic war, classic peace. But now with imploding nations and failing states, with, with uh, multilateralism taking a real kicking, with the surge of certain extreme dimensions to our society, the question now is, is that how in fact do you bring them back into a way where Canada can demonstrate leadership? And I would firmly tell you, that Canada as a leading middle power in the world, we're one of the 11 most powerful nations in the world, we're a leading middle power in the world. What it needs is, yes, leadership, enlightened leadership, but leadership that's willing to take risks. Leadership that's willing to create coalitions that are even outside of the UN, that are outside of NATO, that are outside of the EU, that are outside of regional bodies, but coalitions of leading middle powers who can bring enormous amounts of assets and keep the bigger powers in reserve. And, and yeah, their support, if, if we can get it, but not absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. And look at countries like Norway. Norway is miles ahead of us internationally. Why? What do they have? I think that they have commitment. Mm -hmm. They've had a commitment to the movement of humanity and human rights and they've built that commitment over long-term uh, policies and foreign and their foreign policies 
and in their national ambitions. They've been able to articulate that and implement it. We don't get people talking about that. And I'll tell you, how much will international affairs, humanitarian affairs, influence the next election? Are our leaders being elected on those subjects? Or are they being elected on very local requirements? Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, if we as a nation hold them accountable for our local stuff and not the other side, then it's our own damn fault. Mm-hmm. So youth like yours and those of that generation beyond borders can change that. Yeah. So it's our responsibility as well to make that a priority yeah. in governance. And I'll tell you another dimension to that. I've spoken in many universities and senior high schools, CEGEPs, and I, I often get the question, well, what can we do? Oh, we're only so and so on. And then I ask them, you know, how is it possible that there are 2.9 million votes that were not used in the last election? And those are the votes of under 30. Mm-hmm. Why weren't they used? Why isn't the youth, whose future is in your face, because future is coming a lot faster than it used to be uh, because of changes so, so extraordinarily fast. So why are those the youth, why aren't they participating in deciding the future of their nation? Why are all those votes not being used? And you could change the under 30s who vote at the next election and massively focus themselves can change the face of politics in this country. And so don't tell me mm-hmm. that you don't have power. The balance of power in this democracy, in this country, is in the hands of those under 30. Don't use it, then live the consequences. It's a powerful message. Okay. Yeah, I, I just Good. have one more question. One yeah. more. One more? Okay. Um, I just wanted to ask you about your Child Soldiers Initiative. Yes. So I know you're very involved in that. You want to end uh, the use of child soldiers in the world's most brutal conflict zones. What actions have you been taking there, and what further steps will this organization embark on? Since the, my initial research at, at Harvard in 2004, and the creation of the initiative uh, in 2008, and moved it to Dalhousie University, which is now a formal institute of that university, uh, that's, that's being finalized right now. We were able to influence the Canadian government two years ago to produce what is called the Vancouver Principles, which were principles that were presented to all the troop contributing nations of the world to peacekeeping. Uh, and we have had now 85 countries that have signed up to those principles. And the principles are essentially the tools and how we can prevent the recruitment and the use of children in armed conflict. And how we do it is we train on a whole new generation of operational tools, operational capabilities that we give the security forces, police and military in nations, in how they handle children in conflicts without simply going kinetic and killing them off, yeah. as been the, the habit. So there's a whole new doctrine, produces tactics, produces new ways of thinking. And so we change the ethos mm-hmm. of military and police forces and nations on how they look at children and how they look at children in conflict and how children are not soldiers. Anyone under 18 is not an instrument of war and make them realize that no matter what their cultural background was in regards to use of 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 13-year-olds, 
that does not meet the criteria of human rights of our era and the rights of children and the optional protocol on child rights. Got it. They are children with weapons. We no. don't want that. You want to fight yeah. a war? Let adults take that decision to mm -hmm. engage or not. Not kids do it as surrogates to adults. Very interesting. Um, thanks so much for your work, for your message. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And you guys get off your butts and vote. Yeah, I will. Okay. <laughs>